Nicholas Bornois of Capitaling. Again, I'm delighted to welcome you to the closing uh, session of our 22nd annual Closing Funds and Global ETFs Forum. And this one is a roundtable discussion with, uh, with the analysts. So Bob Bus of Calamos is going to moderate it. Again, Mariana and Alex, thank you very much for being with us today. And all of you, for all three of you, for being really tremendously loyal and long-standing supporters of this uh, event. Thank you very much. Great, Nicholas. Thanks for the opportunity. And again, I'm, I'm Bob Bush. Um, uh, I'm with Calamos, and I, um, I'm the director of closed and fund products here. And I, I have two esteemed colleagues with me today. Uh, I have Marianne Farina, a CFA, uh, research director, uh, closed end funds and ETPs, passive products at Wells Fargo Investment Institute, and Alexander uh, Rice, who's uh, a managing director. Uh, of equity strategies at uh, at Steeple Nicholas. So welcome to both of you. Great to see you. We're, we go a long way. We've been involved in this business a long, long time, and it's just great to have you have you back here. So um, we had a, a, a discussion uh, a little while ago, which Mariana was gracious enough to host. And there we had, including myself, some other uh, of my colleagues in the asset management industry. And many of these subjects we addressed from sort of the asset manager perspective. There's going to be a bit of an overlap here, so I'll just mention that up front. But again, the crux of the matter here is we're going to look at it from the perspective of the research analysts, which oftentimes are, are in line with what some of the asset management thinking is, but then sometimes it isn't. So it's also, there are many parts to any equation in any business, and I, I think it's, it's it's absolutely critical that we, uh, we tap into the research analyst thinking, and clearly we've got two of the best, if not the best, in the industry with us right here today. So... Um, just to jump into it, Marianne, I'll, ladies first, I'll, I'll start with you if you don't mind. Obviously, we've had a, a dearth of IPO activity, uh, basically nothing done uh, in the last year. Um, discounts have widened. Uh, we've had uh, a lot going on. Uh, leverage costs have increased. We've had this situation where many closed-end funds have cut their distribution rates. Uh, a lot of them have increased their return of capital component in their distribution rates, sometimes both. So it's um you know as we as we say the closing of fund business there are times when it is very very well there are times when it's it's struggling and by no fault of its own I think you know it emulates a lot of what's going on in the in the general financial market so um do you see any hope in sight of any capital raising whether it be on the secondary side or in the IPO side um it will be tough. Uh, to be very honest, and it is very difficult to launch a new closed end fund when you see such wide discounts. Um, the the thinking for the advisor or for a client for a shareholder would be, well, should I buy this new one or should I buy this existing one, assuming that there's something similar with such a wide discount. And so it's um it, it's tough. Um, now the sad thing is that this is probably the best a better time to launch a new fund uh, because the markets are so low, um, but often the best time to launch a fund is the most difficult time to, to launch a fund, sadly. Um, so I'll, I'll stop there. Um, I don't know, Alex may have something else or? No, that, that's that, that's fine. I guess, Alex, I'm flipping it over to you. I mean, arguably there are, to Mariana's point, there are a lot of value, good values out there um, as we know, retail investors tend to source closed-end funds uh, for capital, particularly during times of market volatility. I mean, what are you seeing on your side? What, where do you see the particular value 
in the closed end fund space at this point, the secondary market? Yeah, um, well, if I were going to pick, you know, we, we broadly categorize closed end funds in three groups here. We talk about equity funds, we talk about taxable funds, and we talk about municipal funds. Um, to, to my mind's eye, the single best use of the closed end fund structure or the area where the closed end fund structure probably helps you more than any other these days, or I, I hope going forward will help more than any other, um, is in the munis. Um, to me, the municipal bond funds have been absolutely of course, they've been, they've been hammered, right? They have the most interest rate risk of any area that you look at. Um, they have very long bonds. They have leverage. They are, by and large, have a, an overrepresentation of perpetual funds compared to other groups. So, so everything uh, about them screams interest rate sensitivity, and we've certainly felt that. Um, but to me, this is a three-legged stool, right? You have the asset values, you have the earnings, and you have the discounts. And all three of those areas are mean reverting, right? So if I look at the bond portfolios of the muni funds that I cover, across the board, their bonds are trading below par and will pull to par over time. Um, across the board, their earnings have suffered dramatically. And that's because an inverted yield curve means, you know, one-year bonds yield more than 30-year bonds and a closed-end fund borrowing at the one-year rate and investing in 30-year bonds will yield even less than that, right? So that's been terrible for them. Uh, and the discounts, you know, they're somewhere between eight and 10% wider than what their historical averages have been. And, and this for a peer group that has traded at par many, many times. Um, so I look at all three of those areas, you know, the pull to par on the NEVs, the regaining of some steepness in the yield curve at some point will help their earnings and mean reversions on dis discounts. Um, all three of those are mean reverting. The timing is uncertain. But if you can hold your position, I think they're all wind blowing at your back over time. And um, I think that the returns of the closed end muni funds will be better than what you can get in other muni product. Uh, again, provided that you have the capacity to wait and you want a long duration investment. Right. I mean, it, may, it, may I add? May I add one more thing? To that, um, I don't disagree with Alex. The the municipal close end funds uh, are currently trading at some of the the biggest discounts. Um, I think part of that reason is because the uh, municipal funds um, set their distributions typically much more in line with the level of earnings. So, as Alex mentioned, um, leverage has been. Um, an issue has been a challenge. Um, it's sometimes it's wonderful to have the leverage, um, but in the past few months, as short rates have gone up, the cost of borrowing has gone up. That means the earnings have come come down. And municipal uh, bonds have basically, as the earnings were coming down, they've been cutting the distributions. Um, that has not necessarily been the case with most of the taxable closed-end funds, uh, even though the earnings have come down, they've they've maintained the dividend. And I'm talking about here averages and in, in generally, but they've maintained the same distribution, even though the earnings were coming down. So um, if you're not looking through and you're not kind of tracking the earnings of the portfolios, um, you think, or a shareholder, a client, an investor may think, oh, the taxable closed-end funds are doing much, much better. Um, but the thing is that the muni closed end funds have been just cutting dividends as the earnings have been coming down. Um, the taxable funds have not done that generally. 
Um, so I think that's maybe another reason as investors see dividend cut after dividend cut after dividend cut. And I'm talking about maybe a easy 30, 40% cut in distribution for the muni closed end funds. Um, that That's a lot. And so I think people have, have left, have sold their muni closed end funds maybe more than other funds. Um, and I, I think that's that maybe may partly explain the wider discounts on muni closed end funds. One last point, I'll flip to you, Alex, and then we'll go on to the next segment. Do you think a large part of that consternation in the market relative to uh, munis is the fact that the duration in some of those funds can be a lot longer? The bond duration can be a lot longer relative to some of the taxable bond funds, which can have high yield in them, senior loans, convertibles, which tend to have lower duration. In other words, investors can be scared by those 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 high duration amounts that are that are part of the muni uh, uh, complex. Yeah, I think you're completely right. Um, you know, look, risk and reward are correlated. Uh, the closed-end muni funds um, don't get their reward from credit risk. They get it from interest rate risk, right? And interest rate risk over the past year or past year and a half um, has been punished terribly. Um, credit risk has fared pretty well. You know, I mean, there, you can you could just look up in, in any financial publication, the journal, the, the Financial Times, whatever it is, and the articles about how well high yield, how well credit has managed to hold up despite very, very large increases in rates. Um, you know, it's, you, you, can, you can find that story out there a lot. So the primary benefit that a muni fund brings to you, so like, okay, I'm taking interest rate risk, but I'm taking much less credit risk. Um, that just hasn't been the place to be for the past year and a half. So I think the fact that interest rate risk sort of looms large in people's minds today, um, and that's something that they want to avoid because the taste that everybody's had over the past like year, year and a half has been pretty bad. Um, but over a long period of time, the durability of the credit, right, the strength of municipal bonds credits, of, of like real government bonds, um, yeah, is probably not playing the 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 is 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 not occupying the space in people's minds um, that it typically does, um, and that 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 sort of effect on your portfolio where I can have something when economic conditions actually it, were they to turn down, um, I think you would you would immediately see people get religion on credit risk and then be all all back for interest rate risk. But but I, your point is taken very very well. Um, yeah, interest rate risk is hurt. Muni funds have tons of it. Um, but I think for investors, it's important to realize that interest rate risk comes and goes. You know, credit risk is forever. When something defaults and doesn't pay you back, that's pretty much it. Um, these funds, their durations have climbed as you've seen, you know, more extension and all of those issues, which we're very familiar with. These things have happened before. Um, and again, when, when interest rate when when high quality assets begin to serve their role in people's portfolios again um, and have done that good job that, that people expect them to during tougher times, um, I think I think they'll be in fashion again. I, I, I don't think I don't view this as a permanent condition. No, it never is. You know, it, more things change and where they stay the same in many respects. Um, Mary, I'll, I'll flip it to you again from from a research perspective. So when you design a new product, oftentimes, the advisor team is, you know, has their mindset on perhaps typical portfolio managers want as much flexibility as possible. No question about it. But when you market a product to our investors, um, the sense is they, they really want a little bit more definition as to what they're buying. In other words, there are funds out there and they've done well, which can kind of go anywhere, do anything. And, and that's all well and good. But again, there's this sort of, I think this 
inherent sense from the retail uh, analyst community to try to at least put it, maybe sharpen the, the, the pencil a little bit so that the investors have a, a, a kind of a general sense of where the focus is. You know, that said, when you get an environment like such as that we've had, is it is it more incumbent to sort of look at funds that have a lot more flexibility relative to those that are sort of more uh, more focused? I mean, in, in, in your seat, is that is that one of the things you look at or does it matter uh, when you recommend a fund, particularly during times of stress in the market? Um, yes and no. And, and, and let me try to explain that. Uh, more flexibility if you're talking about uh, allowing the, the investment objective, allowing the manager to move to different asset classes, um, that is useful. And uh, that helps, uh, should help for performance um, if the manager goes to the, the right asset class at the right time. Um, the, the reason I said also no is because sometimes if a if, if a product, if a portfolio is too complex um, and therefore it takes too much time, too much effort to understand it and therefore too much effort to try to explain it to a client, um, it has the risk that the advisor may say, you know what, skip, let's go to something a little bit easier that I can explain and that the client will is more likely to understand. So I think that's the challenge of a more complex or a more, quotes, flexible um, fund. Um, th that's why I said yes and no. Um, so generally, flexibility is good um, if you could take advantage of that. Um, but it may take a little extra to explain. Well, yeah, I, I would... Go ahead, Alex, please, go ahead. Yeah, I'd piggyback on top of that. I'd say I'd say um, two things. Um, I like it when managers have the ability to be flexible, but still stay fairly close to something predictable. So, for example, um, if a senior loan manager has the ability to use high yield, right? So it's all broadly within the auspices of credit. And somebody who's bought a credit fund understands that this is one of the credit sensitive parts of their portfolio. These are the interest rate sensitive parts of their portfolio, and it helps them understand what they hold all the time. Um, with regard to the funds that have mandates that allow them to really go anywhere, anytime, um, one of the interesting things that I found out over time and looking at these funds for long periods of time is that actually managers don't use that ability as much as you might think. Um, we have, as part of our regular reports, when we, when we talk about individual funds, we have a series of charts where we'll go back through all of their semi-annual and annual reports going back to the day that the fund came out. And we'll show within, again, this is for funds that have that go anywhere kind of structure. And we'll say like, okay, so for high yield bonds, this is the most they've had in their portfolio over time. This is the least as a percentage of assets um, for, you know, whatever, mortgages, loans, preferreds, whatever. Um, and you'll find that actually the ranges of the allocations that many managers, not all, but many managers do actually wind up using over time just doesn't vary as much as you'd think. Uh, they tend to have a um, either a particular sort of like overweight, you know, they might be this, this is, yes, this is a go anywhere fund, but most of the time you're going to see it in international type holdings, or this is a go anywhere fund, but most of the time it looks like credit. Uh, and I, so I think that actually some of those funds that have that go anywhere provision or, or those, those abilities to, to, to be wherever they want, um, you'd be surprised at how consistent they are. 
That's a very good uh, point, uh, Alex. I'm glad you you mentioned it. Um, you talked about different asset classes that they may um, go into, but they don't necessarily. Um, I can think of one fund that um, has mentioned we would like the flexibility of leverage and they've prepared for leverage and they have everything ready to leverage, but so far I haven't seen any any um, pulling the trigger on leverage. So um, yeah, I, I agree, that, that's interesting. Yeah, they, they may say they go anywhere, but they don't really go right. And conversely for delevering, right? A lot of fund managers will say, look, we're using leverage, but when it's not advantageous to use it, we won't. And um, Look, we're, we're, we're sitting here on this call saying how expensive leverage has gotten over the past year and a half. And I, I have I, I actually I can't think of a single fund that was a levered fund before it all started. And today is delevered given costs or anything. It, it just seems to be um, one of those things where I think managers know in their in their heart of hearts that predicting these things is, is awfully difficult. Um, and there's a real cost. Uh, to switching, to taking on leverage, putting it, taking it on, putting it off, um, and and those expenses only flow one way. They're only a negative, right? So when you're taking an unknown against a, a, a negative, um, I think most managers just sort of don't do anything too dramatic. Most of the, which which I think for many investors is actually a positive. I, I don't think these funds should be changing their stripes wholesale every couple of years. Um, that consistency, that reliability, that ability for a man, for a financial advisor to know that what they picked once upon a time is still basically the same thing. Um, I, I don't, I don't view that as a negative. Well, well, clearly, when you design a product, we've all been involved with this uh, to some extent. You know, the PMs like as much flexibility as they can, and that's 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 arguably makes sense. So there's sort of this inherent rub between what the portfolio managers want. But what we think people can come out and uh, excuse me, best sell the product, right? Because again, you have to have some type of a a, a fine tune to it, right? It's you have to be able to market it uh, to a specific audience that's looking for something that arguably has the opportunity to perform not only a short term but the long term, but also compares well relative to what else is in the market. Uh, and I'm sure that's an assessment that you, you you folks make day to day when you when you make your recommendations to your clients. So. Um, we alluded to leverage. I know we talked a little bit about this in the last forum. There was another group here that specifically uh, mentioned leverage. But again, what, I, what I'm going to do is try to get into it from your perspective uh, as opposed to that of others. Um, obviously, you know, there's been a double whammy here with leverage when you have a period where you've had increasing costs of leverage and downward financial markets. Um, it has a, a detrimental impact on the NAV of the portfolio. I, I, I'll ask both of you the same question, and I know it's a constant education, but is, is your sense is the investors understand and appreciate that? I mean, arguably, you know, when everything's going up double digits and you're borrowing at zero, that's a great environment. We've been lucky to have that for a while. We're not there now, and we may not be in there for a while. Mariana, how do you, how do you have, how, how do you have a reality check with clients that that all of a sudden become a little bit disappointed in in this dynamic, which has favorably worked in the past, but not so much now? Mm -hmm. um, Bob, you mentioned a double double whammy. I would say it's a triple whammy <laughs> because you have the market going down, which would imply the NAV goes down. Number one, then you have if you have leverage, uh, the NAV goes down even further. 
number two. <laughs> and number three, then you typically in those cases have the discount widening. So the market price goes down even further. So it's a triple whammy in my opinion. Um, but we always have to remember that it goes the, the other way as well. Uh, it goes the positive way as well. Um, so close end funds for that, if they have leverage and because the discounts can widen and narrow, um, are more volatile. Uh, and, and what a client's experience, what shareholders experience is the, the market price volatility. And that is more higher, vol more volatile um, than what the NAV or what the market may do, what the market volatility of the market may, may be. Um, so it's definitely, it takes a strong stomach um, to buy closed-end funds. And I think closed-end funds is not for everyone, um, especially those investors who um, are very, very conservative and they cannot deal, they cannot stomach high volatility, maybe they should think about a mutual fund or an ETF, something much simpler. Um, so that's what we typically try to, to make sure that investors or clients understand that. Now, I always compare to my experience in 1994 when people, in my opinion, did not fully understand leverage. And it was the very first time that uh, close-end fund investors experienced the negative side of leverage after a lot of new issuance of preferreds and munis, muni funds, which are very um, high um, at long duration. Now, since 90, then, 94 was a dreadful bond market, just to just to and, and it. it was a huge surprise. It was a big surprise, short rates and, and long rates going up. Um, so compared to that, when people I remember advisors, clients calling about what's going on? I mean, I close that funds now. Um, hopefully, thankfully, to a lot of education that we've done, and I know other analysts have done as well, and other uh, close-end fund managers have done as well, um, now the questions are very different. Now the questions are, should I be buying these muni close-end funds? Very, very different, um, which leads me to think, hopefully, that investors get, at least our clients, get leverage, understand leverage, what it can do, and they see that they may at some point get the positive aspect of leverage. Um, and so again, education, if somebody has not touched a close-end fund, does not know anything about close-end funds, I mean, an understanding of leverage is is key, is very, very important. Yeah, and, um, yeah go ahead, Alex, I'm sorry. Yeah, a, a few things on that. Um, so first of all, as to whether people know, right? Um, I think, and, and I'm sure Mariana's had the same experience, uh, most of the calls that wind up coming into us, right, the inbound stuff where someone's trying to reach you um, and talk about it, that's one of two things. That's either somebody who doesn't understand what's going on and needs you to help and explain it, and, and oftentimes that is a client who will run into who didn't understand leverage and is sort of, sort of coming to grips with, with, with the reality of something that they may have picked because it had a high yield, you know, or something like that. Um, but then, of course, again, what Mariana said is also true. I get a lot of calls, especially at times like these, where the discounts are massive, and it's in the it's in Barron's, it's in the Wall Street Journal that, that this is a time in closed end funds where there's a big dislocation. We get lots of inbound calls on people trying to buy. Um, a very different kind of investor uh, calls us when discounts are double digits than than when they're not. Um, so, so as to the understanding, I mean, I think you get you get both. Uh, and again, in today's environment, the people who are trying to buy, um, I think they do understand what, what they're looking for. Um, and what they're looking for is, you know, 
mean reversion in high quality fixed income. You know, that 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 tends to go both ways. Bonds come out at par. They either go to 110 or they go to 90, but they tend to come back to par. And, uh, you know, depending on on the time frame and all of that, that's all a little bit of a of a of a, of a piece of work to try and work that out. But um, we are definitely seeing people who understand that case and, and want to come back to it. But importantly, about about leverage, again, especially just within the context of the municipal funds, but it's true of the others too, um, yield curves do invert from time to time. About, give or take, 5% of trading days, the yield curve is inverted, and about 95% of trading days, it's not. Um, so most of the time, the leverage is beneficial. Most of the time, it's increasing the income. It does come at the expense of higher volatility, uh, but welcome to closed end funds, right? Uh, what, one of the sayings that I rely on a lot is that I tell people that I speak about fixed income all day long, but my boss is the head of equity research. Um, these things trade on the exchange. They can trade with the same volatility that you're used to seeing out of equities for that reason. Um, but they do retain those underlying characteristics. They're made out of bonds. And those characteristics of a bond portfolio will come shining through in the end, including um, pull to par. And so I think you're getting, you get both sides of it, depending on who you're talking to and when, uh, but that leverage is beneficial um, a lot of the time, especially in an asset class like this. I think many people understand that. I'm just curious. Uh, just just a, a Bob, if I may, uh, just very oh, briefly, uh, it helps when you have seen something before. Um, and this down, um, downdraft or close to end funds, we've kind of seen it a few times. And I'm going to mention maybe just the, the most extreme ones. As I said, 1994, uh, the financial crisis in 08, uh, the taper tantrum in 15, uh, 19, now again. So when somebody has seen this before and you say, okay, deja vu, I've seen this before and I know what has happened after that. Um, not that I want to speculate, but it kind of, there's a pattern to this. And, uh, do we know when the bottom is? No, and nobody pretends to know exactly when the bottom is, but we do know, okay, this will turn around at some point. And, and what I typically tell people is start investing, keep maybe a little bit of dry powder just in case. Um, then if you see worse, or just put a little bit more money and keep a little bit dry powder. So just a dollar cost average uh, into it because nobody knows the bottom. <laughs> and the, the only point I would make, and I said this in the last panel is that again, when you have increased leverage costs, that's not necessarily a bad thing because as long as the investment that you're making is more than making up for that debt service that you're paying out in leverage, it, it's a positive. It's positive to the portfolio. Um, and and I made the point earlier. You've had equity markets up about ten percent year to date. Um, generally, that's enough if you're if you're in an equity portfolio to cover your cost of leverage. If you're floating rate, you're probably paying you know five handle right now, which is elevated from where it's been, but still lower than what you might earn in an equity fund. Fixed income funds are a little more of a challenge. The bond, bonds are probably up about 5% roughly this year. So there it's it's kind of flat. Um, just before we get off, off this topic, I'm just, I'm just curious. The, the ICI comes out with a study and they talk about closed-end fund buyers that this is, I'm generally speaking now, of course, they tend to be a little bit older, a little bit more wealthier, a little bit higher educated relative to the mutual fund buyer. Each of you, starting with Mariana, would you, what would your, what would your, in your experience, what would you, how, what would you comment on that, relative to what you see in your, in your system? Uh, I would, I would agree with that, that statement. Um, definitely much more retail, um, oriented. 
Um, they definitely are more interested in the income. Um, I often say what a location, location, location is to real estate, yield, yield, yield is to close down funds. It's very important. So it tends to be um, investors who are kind of at the, towards the, how do I say this? <laughs> uh, later stages that they're relying much more on on, on income um, than appreciation. So I, I would agree with Alex? the ICI statement. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And that's that's who we tend to see, um, you know, instead of people who are, I, 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 I put it in that, I, I think Mariana and I are both searching for a good term on how to refer to the types of clients that we see in closed-end funds. I, I say it's a oftentimes people who are in the decumulation phase of, of their investing career, when they're relying on their portfolio to start paying their bills instead of the accumulation phase where you're just constantly contributing to it. Uh, now is the phase where you, you need it to contribute to you. Um, and so that tends to be the majority of investors that we find in, in closed-end, especially, again, we were talking about muni funds or preferred funds before. These are income paying asset classes. So I think it makes sense that we attract an income oriented investor. Um, but I will give a little plug for the total return investor for younger investors who are seeking to accumulate capital over time um, and still have a long runway. Um, for people, for example, in it, let's say again, it, it, today we're, we're, we're picking on the muni funds, but um, you know, somebody who owns one of those funds today trading at 85 cents on the dollar who takes those distributions from NAV, right, at a, at a dollar on the dollar, right? Every time you real, you, you take a distribution, uh, it's not being delivered to you. It's something you bought at a discount, but it's not being delivered at a discount. It's being delivered at, at its full value. Um, if you reinvest those distributions over time, you create a second compound layer of return, right? You're using 85 cent on the dollar assets that pay you a few dollars. You take those dollars and you buy more 85 cent on the dollar assets that over time liquidate a portion of their holdings too. And you really do create a second compound layer of returns that is extraordinarily beneficial for as long as the funds remain very, very cheap. You get that tailwind at your back. And then, you know, so we have younger investors who buy these kinds of income-oriented funds. They're constantly reinvesting their dollars over time. And then one day in the future, they will flip that switch from reinvest to send me the check. Um, and they will have created you know, again, in the case of the muni funds, something that kind of feels halfway between an annuity and a Roth IRA, you know, it's, it's, it's a really good way to develop, um, you know, sources of income that you will use later, even if it takes some of your investing years, some of your, your runway to, to invest in those and to develop it. But I, I think they're extraordinarily good tools, especially when they're this cheap. That's a good point, Alex. I think especially during moments like we're going through right now, crises, crises when there's wide discounts, we get the kind of the crossover, if you want to call them total return investors or appreciation investors um, that pay attention and start buying close-end funds, especially these periods. So we're in a brave new world now. You folks are research analysts. You deal with your clients. Um, Brave new world being we have elevated interest rates and that's at levels that we haven't seen for quite some time. There are many FAs that are now in the business that really weren't in the business when rates were this high. So it's kind of a bit of an education for them as well who haven't seen that. And that's all well and good. We're, we're here to serve them, of course. But uh, at least at least I'll ask each of you the same question. Now that we're in this environment of elevated interest rates, um, and obviously these many of these funds are levering at floating rate um, floating rate rates. 
what, how do you coach your investors? How do you discuss this sort of change of events, change of world? How do you work that into the conversation as you advise your clients? I'll uh, start with you, Mariana, on the closed end fund space today versus where we were maybe five years ago. Um, interesting. Yields on closed end funds are also much higher, uh, specifically because of that. Um, I think I would definitely, um, as I try all the time, no matter what the what the market environment is, make sure that they understand the asset class that they're getting into first, um, because I think that will dominate the uh, the total return. Will always dominate the total return. So making sure that they understand: do they want equity? Do they want fixed income? Uh, within fixed income, what? Do they want to take credit quality risk? Do they want to take interest rate risk? Um, that num number one, um, and uh, and then if there's leverage, make sure that they they understand um, that and that, that they're willing and that they're able to take that risk. It's a different environment now, Alex. You know, three or four years ago, when you had a floating rate at you know zero, and the loss of leverage was not much more than zero. Um, it was a pretty safe bet. Well, nothing safe, but you, you, you had a greater opportunity to earn a positive spread in whatever your investments were relative to what you were paying out in debt service. That's not the case now. So it now starts to become incumbent upon thinking in terms of what the underlying assets are and assuming their leverage, their ability to earn more than what their borrowing costs are. Thoughts on that as you now, that that dynamic is very different than when we were, again, a couple of years ago. Fact, how does yeah. that factor into the discussions? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, you, you know, I, I guess we sort of entered that realm of an ultra low interest rate environment after 2008, right? So we're talking about roughly a 15 year phenomenon. And during that time, um, I believe it was either Paul McCulley or Mohamed El Arian, it was somebody from, from HICO who coined the term the new normal. Um, and now we're kind of back to the old normal, right? You know, we we used to have a, a world where a five percent treasury rate just wasn't wasn't crazy at all. Um, and then uh, you know you had fifteen years of heavy duty Fed intervention. And I, I had an advisor once um, say to me, and 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 the, the the phrasing that he used just sort of stuck with me, which was like something to the effect of, um, you know, with the Fed in the market distorting the fixed income markets so much a retail investor in that environment is forced to distort what their typical asset allocation plan would have been, right? Some people call you would call that Tina, you know, where there was no alternative to owning equities because bonds paid you 2% and, and that just that just wasn't going to be able to, to be worth it. Um, so, you know, I actually find um, that, you know, a lot of the advisors that we do with, they have more than 15 years experience. I think most of the advisors that, that come across my desk have significantly more experience than that. Um, and I think actually there's a, there is, there's a, there's a cohort out there that, that for the first time in a long time is kind of comfortable um, with it, that understands what they're seeing. Like, you know, that, that, you know, you're now back to an environment where bonds have to cope with the potential for, you know, inflation and not just thinking that deflation is our biggest risk or everything is going to become Japan or, you know, any of these sort of ways that we had of characterizing it. Um, so I think actually it's a, it's a, it's a reassertion of traditional asset allocation 
planning. You know, you can you can go back the 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 forty in your sixty forty, right? The, the the bond component of your of your allocation plan is actually able to produce a, a, a decent return these days. Um, the 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 higher quality but yet interest rate sensitive component compared to the lower quality but more economic sensitive economically sensitive parts of your portfolio um, should do different things at different times and kind of smooth the the path again going forward, uh, which was something that was very very hard to depend on when bonds yielded two, and so you know one of my one of my 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 sort of hopes as we go forward that we're now actually past the abnormal era and we're, we're back to some of the conventional rules should, should begin to reassert themselves. And, and again, a lot of the advisors here at Stiefel, I'm sure at Wells Fargo, it's the same thing. Um, they have decades of experience. They, they, they actually know what they're dealing with in a way that maybe your sort of average investor maybe doesn't have a 15 year uh, experience or doesn't, hasn't committed the the lessons and the memories and doesn't sort of read about this every day and, 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 and maybe remember what it was like before. Uh, but I think a lot of advisors do. Terrific. So we've got about three minutes left. So I'm going to ask you each this, this final question. We'll have a lot of experience in this. Um, Mariana, starting with you, key takeaways from 2023. What, what did we learn and how can we help our clients with what we've learned this year? What did we learn? Um, well, we've seen this before. Um, 23, I don't think is is completely new. Um, we have been in environments in the past where interest rates have risen, long rates and short rates. So um, the closed end funds are behaving the way they, they should. Um, so um, just reinforcing the uh, an understanding how closed end funds tend to behave, which is during crises, discounts tend to widen. Uh, when short rates rise, the cost of borrowing uh, it has been maybe a little bit more drastic this this past uh, few months. But um, they've done what they um, what one would expect them to do. Um, cut dividends when short rates go up, um, and in the past, increase dividends when uh, short rates have declined. So is in, in my opinion, it's just reinforcing um, what the close end funds, what the close end fund behavior is and in uh, making sure that one can take that risk. Alex, your thoughts? Yeah, um, I, you know, look, there's, there, I think there's always a lot of lessons that are learned when, when tough times come, right, and when markets behave poorly. Um, but one of the things, you know, Mariana alluded to before that when we talk, say, about municipal bond funds, they're one of the areas where the earnings tend to really, really match. The, the, the earnings of the portfolio tend to match the distributions quite tight. Um, but when you look at other asset classes, like equity um, and some elements of the taxable fixed income, but more often equity than, than not, um, the distributions and returns are two completely separate things. And I, I've found that for people who had some shock over the past two years, that's been something that you really have to kind of sometimes get in and really explain in the weeds. Um, that again, for most equity type funds, um, distributions on closed end funds feel a lot like RMDs do in a retirement account. It's a number, 
it's a good faith estimate that the management has come up with of what they think that they can produce, what they think the existing capital gains on their balance sheet will compel them to distribute over time because of the 40 Act rules, because of any number of, of, of you know, components that go into that kind of a decision, the distribution will be whatever it is. Uh, but people's spending decision, their consumption amount, their withdrawal rates, all of those things should, should not be based on what the board of directors of a closed-end fund in its boardroom decided the distribution on this fund ought to be for that laundry list of reasons that they have to think about when they're setting those policies. And so what I really hope that people have taken over the past year is just this notion that distributions are, are one component of return, and we should look at them, we should analyze them, we should really have a good understanding of everything that goes into where that's coming from. Um, but that the consumption, the withdrawal rate, all of those other calculations that each individual investor has to do for themselves cannot cannot rely on that number um, as the anchor for their analysis, right? And so that's been a tough lesson for some people that, that you know, look, you get two years where the stock market returns zero, then, well, then the average equity funds return is probably going to be pretty close to that, um, despite the fact that their distributions are very high. And so... That's been one of the learning experiences. But I think as we go forward, um, you know, the, the, the learning experience is that certain asset classes that are built out of very, very good stuff, you know, where the credit is strong and the investments pay you back on time and in full far more often than not, um, those bounce back. And that's why we own something that pays a little less, but is more secure. And I think those lessons will be, you know, I, I feel that when we get together this time next year, um, I have a feeling we're going to be talking about a lot of that stuff uh, and, and, and talking about durability and other things as, as, again, lessons that we have to keep relearning. You're right. We've been around long enough to know that these products do rebound. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, we can't look the gift horse in the mouth and think, well, it's too cheap. Why would I want to buy it? It's only going to get down lower. Well, not necessarily. I mean, we, you know, we've seen so many times this market has uh, has had a rough go. You've seen underperformance in down markets because of leverage. You've seen widening discounts. But again, these are these are great products that are managed by really top top tier managers because it's tough to get one of these out the door. I can tell you that uh, from experience. And they come back. They rally, and um, and that's good. So. Using the understanding the product and taking advantage of those uh, those uh, sales, which I will call them, um, I think can certainly behoove your clients. Um, but again, you have to roll up your sleeves and see what's in the portfolio because they're not all. Oftentimes, the, the, this the space, as you know, is 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 painted by the same brush. These are very different investment. Although they're closed end funds, they often have very different investment objectives. They have very different management styles, uses of leverage, and so on. So. Um, it's not all one size fits all. It's not yield. It's not a number distribution. It's what's going into that and how that's achieved. So I see we're, um, we're at the time where we must depart. Uh, Mariana Farina at Wells Fargo, much appreciated. Alex Reese, always a pleasure. Uh, thanks so much for your thoughts as always. Nicholas, I'm going to turn this back to you, um, if you don't mind. Here I am. And uh, I would like to say that uh, this uh, brings us to the closing now of our uh, of our forum. Uh, thank you very much for uh, for a great discussion. And uh, as we discussed at the beginning, maybe we should do an encore 
very soon on a topic of uh, contemporary interest like the discounts or other major happenings in the closed and fund space. Why not? I think it makes sense. There's a lot of there's a lot of questions out there, Nicholas. I know Alex is getting it, Mariana's getting it, I'm getting it. To the extent we can serve our shareholders better by giving them more information on the subject, I think that's that's only uh it's only beneficial. Thank you very much to all of Thank you. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you very much.